Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. So tonight's reading is taken from Exodus 19, verse 1 to 19. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the, arm, only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was a thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ethan, for reading. Evening, everyone. I'm Eve, I'm the clergy leader here, and it's great tonight to be continuing this series as we scale five particular mountain peaks in the Bible. And as we do this, we note that particular mountains that are mentioned throughout Scripture seem to have particular significance for God's people. They give us clarity as to who God is and how we live in the light of that. And last week, uh, one of our curates, Richard, spoke about the God who tests 
and the God who provides on Mount Moriah, providing a sacrificial animal for Abraham to offer to God rather than his son. And it's well worth a listen. And I've talked to several people who have found that God has been speaking to them uh, through that and as we journey through these mountains. So I pray for an encounter this evening as well. And as Rich shared last week, we might have a range of responses to the theme of mountains. In my family, uh, we're not quite on the level of the St. George's walking group. We have one of those, and they regularly go on long walks. Um, But my family, we're not afraid to scale a mountain or two every so often. So on the screen, you will see some photos come up. And in the top left are my parents, everybody. And that is from 1986, vintage. Um, And my parents, you can can tell me if you think I look like my parents, um, were climbed up Mount Snowdon in Wales. And dad, my dad wanted to go up for his birthdays in a lovely orange cagoule that's sort of come back in now, haven't they? Um, and uh, my mum had some fashionable ankle boots on uh, with no, they didn't have any sort of proper equipment and they had a boots carrier bag with their flask in it and some biscuits. Um, but they were pleased that they had walked up together rather than catch there was a train that went up because they were very warm when they got to the top and then all the people that caught the train were up there kind of freezing on the top of Snowdon. Today we're scaling a mountain a bit further from home, Mount Sinai, also known as Mount Horeb, uh, Jabal Musa, Mountain of Moses in Egypt. And although I haven't scaled this particular mountain, I was privileged to climb Mount Catherine, Uh, a nearby mountain back in 2008, that is me on the bottom to show you photos from my past, on a family trip where I visited some family who lived in Egypt. And uh, me and my dad climbed up really early in the morning, kind of in the night time when it was dark, so that we got to the top and then saw the sunrise from the summit. And you can see that on the right there. And it was amazing, and it's a difficult experience to kind of put into words or observations. And as we come to the episode at Sinai of the people of Israel, where heaven and earth meet, uh, the sacred authors write about this as if we're peering through the smoke and the cloud to present the ineffable, which means indescribable God, who came down on the mountain. So we're going to peer down onto this mountain uh, today. And I think as we uh, get to Mount Sinai, we meet the God who frees us, and that there is purpose in that freedom. God frees us to worship, and God frees us to serve. But how do we arrive at Mount Sinai? Well, to give us a little bit of background, I'm going to show the beginning of a Bible project video about the book of Exodus that just takes us to where we are now. And you can watch the whole thing online for free, but we're just going to watch the first uh, couple of minutes as it comes up on the screen. The book of Exodus. In the first video, we explored chapters 1 through 18, which tell the foundational story of how God rescued the enslaved Israelites by confronting and defeating Pharaoh, while offering a way of escape through the blood of the Passover lamb. God then delivered his people by bringing them through the waters of the sea and then into the wilderness, where surprisingly they grumbled and complained. 
Now, the second half of the book of Exodus opens as Moses leads Israel to the foot of Mount Sinai, where God invites the nation of Israel to enter into a covenant relationship. And here we reach another key moment in the biblical storyline, because this is picking up and developing God's promise to Abraham. So remember, from the book of Genesis, God promised that through Abraham's family, somehow he would restore his blessing to all of the nations. And here we find out more. God says that if Israel obeys the terms of the covenant. They will be so shaped by God's laws and teaching and justice that they will become a kingdom of priests, which means that they will become God's representatives and show all of the other nations what God is truly like. Now, the people of Israel eagerly accept the offer, and so God's presence appears right on the top of Mount Sinai in the form of cloud and lightning and thunder. And Moses goes up as their representative, and God opens with the basic terms of the covenant, the famous Ten Commandments. These are like the basic terms of the agreement, how the Israelites and God are going to relate to each other. And then after this come another collection of commands which fill out the first ten in more detail. There are laws about Israel's worship, about social justice, how they are to live together, all shaping Israel into a nation of justice and generosity that's different from the other nations. It's speedy, but it's comprehensive. Uh, so you can watch that online again and just get into uh, the background as we read through these uh, mountain scenes. Uh, but what we realize as we come to Mount Sinai is that Moses, like Abraham last week, had a history with God. He has encountered the holy presence of God in the burning bush at his call to be the leader of God's people. And when they leave or exodus from Egypt into the desert, we read that by, the, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or by night. And uh, they, that never left God's people as a sign of his presence with them. And so they go to the mountain and they enter into this covenant with God uh, and they are given what we now know as the Ten Commandments and an explanation of how they can live to be God's treasured possession. And I think at Sinai we meet, as I said, the God who frees us. Because for the Israelites, this was the beginning of their life of freedom from slavery under Pharaoh. To move from slavery under an oppressive human rule into a free covenant life with God is a big transition. And some brothers and sisters in our congregation, uh, particularly in the 1030, some know what this is like uh, in their own lives. And here we read that it is God who initiates this rescue into freedom and directs them kindly as to how to, sh to live this free life. And we can also reflect on how God takes us from slavery to sin to ruling our own lives, uh, freedom from idols, into a free life with Christ. God frees us and shows us how to be truly free. And I think there's a lot of talk about what it means to be uh, free or unburdened in our culture. So it's helpful to come to this passage and see what God's freedom looks like. 
And I know that for those of us that follow Jesus, uh, we know that this isn't the end of the story in Exodus, and we might want to, to jump to the freedom that we have in Jesus, but I want to camp out here at Sinai for a little bit to see what was happening in the first place for God's people. So at Sinai, God's freedom is rooted in the loving action of God. The exodus, the rescue, came before the giving of the law. And then they prepare to meet and hear from God. So God says to Moses in verses 4 to 6, he roots that in his identity again. You saw what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I wonder if we today start from a place of knowing what God has done for us. That's where we start from as we approach God. And God saved them and rescued them because of his love. It's uh, reminded to the people later on in Deuteronomy 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you, God's people, because you were more numerous or more important than other people's. But it was because the Lord loved you. And kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. God loved them first and now they're going to meet that God. So they prepare themselves and in verses 10 to 12, they're told to consecrate themselves, to set themselves apart, to clean themselves ritually, to approach the presence of God. And God says to Moses, put limits for the people around the mountain. Tell them, be careful, do not approach the mountain. uh, Because to encounter the holy presence of God was to risk death. So as they they prepare to meet God, we recognize that God is a holy God. So they have to be consecrated and clean. And the rest of Exodus is concerned with this question, the rest of the book. How can Israel... Abide in relationship with the transcendent deity whose full essence the earth cannot bear. So to encounter God's presence in this way, in this kind of raw, unfiltered way, God graciously and kindly sets limits for the people so that they can encounter and be in the presence of God and live. So I wonder now if we might imagine ourselves at the foot Uh, of the mountain at the limits that God has placed us. And we hear that uh, God came in thunder and fire and smoke. So in a moment, I'm going to play, we're going to be played some thunder, okay? So if you uh, are a bit jumpy or if you don't like loud noises, feel free. It's not going to be like crazy, but I'm giving you that warning now so you can put your hands in your ears if you want. You might want to close your eyes. You might want to just kind of still yourselves as we just exist in the thunder and imagine ourselves at Sinai. So let's play that now.
wonder if we need some thunder played before we hear the reading of the Bible in church could wake us up. So it's just a very small taste of what that multi-sensory holistic experience was like. Encountering the presence of God as Moses went up the mountain. So this relationship between Israel and the holy God is a tension for the remainder of this narrative, this story in Exodus. And as one commentator says, the only answer is through covenant, this binding alliance, and a covenant mediator, Yahweh coming forward and making that covenant possible. And the covenant commands are the path to holiness for Israel to ensure that Yahweh's abiding presence remains with them. Um, and just if anyone is a kind of keen reader or wants to learn more, this book, the, the Abiding Presence, which is a kind of commentary but a theological one that kind of talks about the whole of life and discipleship um, by Mark Scarlatta, who is a scholar in London, uh, is really good. So if anyone wants to um, find out more about that, come and talk to me. But uh, it helped me understand this covenant relationship. So we see that they're given these uh, commands uh, the Ten Commandments about how they're going to relate to one another. And it's important to recognize um, that we might read these now as a list of rules and regulations uh, with a kind of simple black and white consequence that breaking them will result in some consequence or like a fine that we would have now. But in fact, these shape a whole way of life, which is relational with their creator, Again, a commentator says, unlike other ancient Near Eastern traditions, the commandments were not a legal or ethical code given by the gods to establish their divine authority of a king and his rule. Remember, Yahweh has already shown himself to have divine authority by bringing God's people out of Egypt. And they're not like the modern civil laws for the governance of a society. These laws and statutes were a sign of Israel's chosen position as Yahweh's chosen people. It showed their identity. It showed how they would come to be a kingdom of priests uh, and be a blessing to the nations. And this God who chose Israel freely also desires the free response of joyful obedience to his command, not a burden or an obligation to earn God's rescue and love, but a gift of divine guidance, always rooted in Yahweh's act of redemption. So these uh, Ten Commandments and the Old Testament law have shaped what we know is our Western civilization for sure, but they were given as a gift of guidance to a chosen people that they might be close to God and know his presence. And so we see the response to this in chapter 20, verses 18 to 21. Understandably, when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and the trumpets, there's also trumpets, we have trumpet players as well in St. George's, so we can always recruit them to help us. Imagine this. Um, the people were fearful. They stayed at a distance. They said, Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. 
But Moses, again, with his history with God, says, do not be afraid. God has come to test you. Remember that specific kind of test that Rich talked about, the test of our trust in God. Will we trust who God claims to be and that he will provide for us? But the people remained at a distance and Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. And later in Exodus, it's recorded that Moses had that relationship with God, that he would speak to God as if with a friend. So at Sinai, God's people meet the God who has freed them and who does now free them to live in relationship to him. But they needed to reckon with themselves Will they trust this holy, loving God who's already shown who he is to shape their lives? Will they follow God's commands? A freedom that is not boundary-less, but is perfectly boundaried by God to enable them to fulfill their calling to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Will they use their freedom to worship God and to serve God and others? Well, for those of us who continue in the scriptures, no, it's a sort of yes and no situation, and then mostly no. Um, To live in God's freedom was a choice, and God's people, both in individual case studies and as a community, rejected that choice of living under God's command many times. Yet God always offered a way back through repentance and trusting in his provision. But this kind of perpetual barrier of sin, of the inclination to go our own way, kept humanity from walking in this covenant. I wonder, Miriam, could you get me some water? Thanks, I'm about to cough. So, as some of us might have been saying earlier, what about Jesus? We know that the answer is Jesus. How is the answer Jesus? And this is where we come to Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul, uh, who many of us read in the New Testament, his letters, was a Jewish Pharisee, so he knew all of this history of God's people inside out. And when he encountered the risen Christ Jesus, thank you, he explained the gift of Jesus in the book to in the letter to the Romans and he explains it like this in relation to the law. In Romans 8, the law of Moses, so the law we've just read about, was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And this, it can be our reality now. So God initiates salvation out of his love for us. So at Sinai, God saved Israel 
because he loves them. He initiated the rescue plan. He took them out of Egypt. He did something they could not do themselves. In Jesus, God saves us out of his love for us. He initiated the rescue plan. Jesus lived a perfect life fulfilling the law, dying as a sacrifice for our sins, but rising to defeat the power of death and sin. He did something we could not do ourselves. And in that, we see in Scripture that God frees us to meet him. At Sinai, in the covenant, the holy God descends to meet his people in cloud, fire, and smoke. And he puts limits around the mountains so that Israel can approach God and live. But in Jesus, the holy God lowers himself, limits himself to meet his people in human flesh, that we might approach God and live. So God in the person of Jesus hasn't gotten any less holy, but God comes close to us in a way that we can meet him face to face, even closer than Sinai. And I was thinking about this at Mount Catherine uh, in Egypt. When I was at the top of it and the sun was rising, there were what looked like bundles of kind of coats and blankets around in corners. But what happened when the sun rose was that those mounds of blankets started to move. <laughs> and it was the mountain guides who slept up the mount- at the top of the mountain and then got up in the morning, it was like their day job, and then would take the visitors down the mountain. So I had a kind of Sinai relationship to the mountain, if we're thinking about the presence of God. I was, it was a one-time thing, I went up, I needed to be told where to go and what to do, and then I went down again. But these mountain guides had a kind of Jesus relationship with the presence of God. They were familiar, they could approach, they had access. They could go into the presence of the mountain or of God as much as they liked. And then in this freedom, we're free to worship. So in the Sinai covenant, God freed his people to worship him. God freed his people literally, physically, and spiritually from the rule of Pharaoh where they were treated as slaves. At a distance, they were like worker ants for the Pharaoh's narcissistic, power-hungry rule. And God took them out of Egypt to meet with God's very presence, to worship Yahweh freely, to represent their good, just God in the world. And while God's loving rescue comes first, Obedience to the covenant commandment leads to holiness and the experience of the divine presence. And again, this freedom to worship was not boundary-less, but God in his love and mercy gave them a form, a shape, a posture of worship, particularly in the tabernacle, the, the tent of dwelling that they would build to form them to be more like God. In Jesus, God frees us to worship him. God frees us from slavery to oppressive rule. He calls out humanity's power plays as time limited. He frees us from slavery to idols, things that promise salvation and pleasure and fulfillment, but they cannot deliver. While God's loving rescue in Jesus comes first, Obedience to the king of the kingdom, Jesus, leads to holiness and to the experience of the promised Holy Spirit in our lives. 
So if we love Jesus, we keep his commands as he invites us to. So this freedom to worship is not boundaryless. Jesus, in his love and mercy, tells us and shows us how to offer our whole lives as a sacrifice of praise that blesses God, that makes us more like Jesus. And slavery to Christ in the New Testament looks like being a child of God, being adopted into the privileged position of sonship at that time, which was to have all the rights and inheritance of the family, an heir to the inheritance of heaven. Who are we worshipping this evening? Are we free to worship Jesus? And God frees us to serve. So in the Sinai Covenant, God freed his people to serve him. God gave them the laws and boundaries to live freely within that would bless them and make them the kind of people others would look at and know that they were God's treasured possession, a kingdom of priests. To live and serve God in the way that God invited them was not a harsh rule or a service of hard labor with no rest but was service in which the land would thrive, the marginalized were cared for, and rest was built into the rhythm of life, a freedom in which everyone is dignified and empowered. And in Jesus, God freed his people to serve him. God taught and demonstrated a life in service to the kingdom of God, empowered by the very life of God in the spirit. Jesus taught in the greatest commandments that he summarized and demonstrated a life ruled by the law of love with boundaries to live freely within it that would bless the church and make them the kind of people that, again, Peter in the New Testament says, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation of all tribes and nations. So to live and serve God in the way that Jesus invites us is not a harsh rule and a service of hard labor with no rest, but it's one in which creation can thrive, the marginalized are cared for, and rest is built into our rhythm of life, an easy yoke and a light burden, a freedom in which losing our life and our self-inclination actually gives us fullness of life for eternity. So are we working or serving or striving today from a mindset of slavery, of obligation, of duty? Or are we serving God and doing everything else that we do, as it says in Colossians, whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we do it in the name of, in the service of the Lord Jesus. It doesn't mean we just shirk all our responsibilities, but we serve as if serving Christ. So I wonder where that lands for us. Do you feel free this evening to worship God only and let everything else come in line with that? Do you feel free to serve Jesus, that everything we do is in service of him, empowered by the Holy Spirit? So when we meet the God of Sinai and we meet the God that shows himself in Jesus, we have to reckon with ourselves 
At Sinai, they didn't approach fully the mountain, but we can approach boldly with confidence because we have access in Jesus. So as we respond, I ask the question, how free are we today? Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.